Hey, previously on podcast listeners, I wanted to take a quick moment before we started this episode to point out that we recently passed 1,000 total plays. Um, and myself, Evan, and Maxwell wanted to just say thank you to all of our listeners for uh, going along with us on this journey. Um, I had each of the guys record a, a short little message, and I'll play those now before we get to the intro music. But we just wanted to say thank you to all of our listeners um, and fans who have reached out to us about um, how much they're loving Avatar The Last Airbender as a show, uh, many of whom are watching it uh, for the first time. So thank you so much. Um, you help make the podcast possible by listening. So thanks again. We're happy you're enjoying it. Play me, Hotman. Thanks for all the support. Holy Momo, a thousand listeners. Thank you all so much. Hello, and welcome back to the Previously On podcast. We're continuing with our third season by taking an in-depth look at Avatar The Last Airbender, and more specifically, the third and final book of that series, Fire. My name's Brandon Berger. I'm Evan Muse. And I'm Maxwell Anderson. And together, we're our own sort of Team Avatar. We're very excited to keep our conversations going as we navigate our way through the third book of this series. For our 23rd episode of the podcast, we'll be taking a look at chapters 5 and 6 of Book 3. Previously on Avatar. Here's some more information about Book 3, Chapter 5, The Beach. It's the fifth episode of the third season and is the 45th official episode of the show. This episode was written by Katie Matilla and was directed by Joaquim Dos Santos. The Beach originally aired on October 19th, 2007. Here's a short synopsis of Chapter 5. Zuko, Azula, May, and Tai Lee go on vacation, where they learn a lot about themselves and each other. Meanwhile, the gang is confronted by an entirely new enemy. Here's some more information about Book 3, Chapter 6, The Avatar and the Fire Lord. It's the sixth episode of the third season, and is the 46th official episode of the show. This episode was written by Elizabeth Welch and was directed by Ethan Spaulding. The Avatar and the Fire Lord originally aired on October 26, 2007. Here's a short synopsis of Chapter 6. Aang and Zuko are given insight into their forefathers' past, but how does the tale of Roku and Sozin matter to them now? So, what were your thoughts on these two episodes? Right off the bat, did you guys notice that weird camel seal thing that was pulling their boat in the yeah. beach? Yeah, what do you I'd think I'd never was? noticed that before. I, I didn't either, and and you bringing it up, I still don't remember it. Like yeah, it didn't jump out at me. So it's I might have weird. to honestly go back after we're done. I'm gonna have to go back and and check it out to see what it was because I honestly have no idea what you're talking about. That was yeah. my first note as well. It's what what animal was that? <laughs> I think it was hippo something it kind maybe of had like a face. camel it had like a yeah. long neck or maybe walrus camel yeah, yeah. it was <laughs> brandon incredibly forgettable you're right <laughs> in well, all my years of watching this show <laughs> forgot it existed if we're being honest i was probably too obsessed with the return of the awesome old lady twins to be <laughs> focusing on the weird and mysterious animals yeah. yes lo and lee are the best so good i always forget their names 
So I'm just, I just, I'm always going to refer to them as the old lady twins. <laughs> I, old hope, lady I twins. hope that's okay. No, I will say too, one thing that jumped out at me right away, thinking about kind of the extravagance of the royal family and that expectation, that pomp, that, that circumstance, that status, their house or like their second house, because they show us a different house later in the episode. The first house they bring us to is very, very small and mm -hmm. not extravagant at all. And I'd forgotten that it was that small. Yeah, it, it was shocking to me, I think. And sort of as we see later on, the idea is that it's not really their old place. It's like Lo and Lee's place, right? Right. But even then, I'm surprised Azula's going to stay in a place that small and cramped with the rest of the, the crew. Well, and really any of them. Like, yeah. Yeah. Why, why would May want to stay in a place like that? May's kind of the mo more, like, I don't necessarily want to say needy, but she's the one who... I feel like would get annoyed almost immediately by seeing the small chambers and being like, oh, I've got to stay with all of you here. What is this about? <laughs> I also noticed that May's go-to criticism of things is to mention throwing up because she did that with the <laughs> Kyoshi Warriors makeup and she did it again oh, yeah. with the house saying that the beach threw up on like the inside of this house. So she's, you know, really creative with those, uh, those insults. <laughs> Maybe... All along, she just has like gastrointestinal issues. <laughs> it's all projection. People think that she's just in a bad mood. She's like, oh, I'm going to throw up. And they're like, oh, May, you're such a bad mood. It's like, no, I don't feel well. <laughs> I have IBS. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> One other thing I noticed too. So in this beginning here, it kind of flashes back and forth between the, the, Ozai's Angels plus Zuko and the old lady twins on Ember Island and uh, Aang and the gang kind of in their little, I don't know what you'd even call that. It's not an oasis per se, but it's like a little, you know, watery adventure land thing that <laughs> yeah. they're, they're driving. Water I don't know. Water world <laughs> for sure. Um, so they get discovered, right? Uh, there are these two Fire Nation soldiers who see them. And they send a black ribbon message, right? I hadn't caught that before. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes a lot of sense uh, when you think about it. You know, the mail system that we use has a variety of different options. You can overnight something. You can have something go courier. Or you can have whatever. I didn't realize, though, at, at the moment that the different color of the ribbon can kind of distinguish one message from another. And I'm, I'm curious. I didn't look this up either on the Avatar Wiki, and I'm not sure if either one of you did. But was there ever any any mention of ribbon colors when some of those military announcements were shown to us early on in like season one, because I honestly don't remember any of it. And the fact that it's just thrown in here now doesn't seem out of place, but it just seems like, man, I wish they would have maybe included that. Like when mm -hmm. Zhao gets promoted, maybe that was like a red ribbon message. Yeah. And then, you know, changing military orders could be blue or white or whatever. Obviously, noting that black ribbon messages are probably exclusively to the Fire Lord or things like that. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think there's been any explicit mentioning of it, but I'd be curious to go back and see if they had put some care into that color coordination still. Yeah. And it also insinuates so that this, uh, the, well, we get introduced to our new enemy, Combustion Man, <laughs> but, that, but that he had managed to train his vulture to hunt down black ribbon messenger hawks or at least that's my interpretation of that Un unbelievable like i know that there are a lot of really gifted animals and creatures in this universe but 
He doesn't just go out and straight up kill the messenger hawk. He ties it up and then removes the message from it. Like that is that is a little bit above and beyond because you don't want these messenger hawks disappearing. Mm -hmm. I'm presuming that the messenger hawk is going to fly back to uh, the two guards who sent it in the first place to kind of signify that the message was dropped off so that they don't send a follow-up or whatever. I'm not sure how the messenger hawk system works. Right. But the fact that it went that far was really, really cool, I thought. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't want to eviscerate a hawk in a kid's show. <laughs> it's so true. I was watching that and I was thinking like, yeah, that's a good way to do it in this universe. Yeah. Like, that's a good <laughs> way to tie that up. Um, literally. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, Max with the dad jokes. You are just all <laughs> over it. He's um, on fire. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. ooh Avatar oof. puns. And we lost some listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the numbers ticking down now in the live feed. <laughs> Honestly, I, I guess Aang should be fortunate that he's being hunted by an assassin. Because if he wasn't, that message would have headed straight to the Fire Lord, right? For sure. Yes. Kind of works out. And then it becomes a whole new story, right? It's, yeah. it's no longer about what we're kind of gearing up for. It's no longer about that invasion. It's it Everything just flips. And Aang then becomes the hunted again, rather than this element of surprise that they've kind of been been uh, using since the Awakening episode. So this is sort of a spoiler because I'm going to talk a little bit about the Day of Black Sun. But ironically, the only person that it truly saves is Zuko. Like the only person that inter intercepting the message saves is Zuko because Zuko's skin in the game is that he, you know, is now known for killing the Avatar, even though that's not true. But their plan, they since they know about the secret invasion plan, their plan is to like hunker down during it. So really it doesn't matter if he's alive or not like it doesn't right. matter if, if ang is alive or not but if the fire lord found out earlier on that the avatar was alive he would probably like his wrath would come down on zuko it's a great point so actually this is one of <laughs> zuko's only successful plans that he's had in the entire series is wow. to hire this assassin it ends wow. up saving his skin oh poor kid that's not a great track record. <laughs> no. That's, that's rough. That's rough, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've talked a lot about different Fire Nation names, right? And even in Sokka's Master, uh, uh, Master Pian Dao says, just you, you should have used Lee. There are hundreds or there are thousands of Lees or whatever, millions of Lees. All of a sudden we get Chen and Ron John. What are your gut thoughts on those super classic Fire Nation names? I feel like it's the closest they could get to Chad. I was literally <laughs> just about to say that. That's crazy. <laughs> Ron John, I don't know about, but Chad for sure. They needed some like dude bro names. Yep. And they also needed them to not sound Western. Yeah, they must have had so much fun making this episode. I, I mean, you get the, the perspective from all these, you know, apparent villains. I mean, we know, mm -hmm. yeah, them as more dimensional, but really, it's just a slice of life episode for, for our <laughs> right. bad guys. And you think about that, and I think if 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 we wouldn't have so much investment into Zuko, an episode like this wouldn't really make sense. You know, mm -hmm. 
aside from maybe getting the audience to think and, and invest more of our personal like thought processes to Ozai's angels, like if Zuko wasn't part of this beach narrative, it wouldn't make a ton of sense to have this focus on just Azula May and Ty Lee. Like it, it needs Zuko in order for us to feel like it's, it's worthwhile and meaningful. At least that's what I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Otherwise it's kind of a weird, like too much investment and humanizing of our villains. Yeah. And you can see because they're setting this up now, Zuko has been kind of this secondary focus, the entirety of this, of the series and of the show. And now you're seeing some of these things like his regret, his remorse for his actions and bossing say start to now manifest themselves outward into how he deals with other people, even with his sister. You know, there's a lot of emotion to unpack in this episode that is kind of hidden behind this fairly casual vacation vibe. You know, you see a lot of these characters outside of their element. Like we see Azula trying to flirt and be like a normal teenage <laughs> oh girl. Right. Um, which is the both best. really, really creepy. Like <laughs> flirting Azula is like creepier than how she normally is. And then I make a note either or later where it's like laughing Azula is creepier than flirting Azula when she does that <laughs> dumb laughing bit. I don't understand uh. it. It's just all, it's, it's very cringe. Um, but it also shows that she has no idea how to be a normal teenager. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas Ty Lee a little bit can kind of buy into that a little bit more because she has had a more quote unquote normal existence probably outside of her fire nation family upbringing which she also talks about in this episode right um there is really just a lot to unpack veiled behind that not super serious um setting right away yeah it's amazing that they use all of this comedy to highlight what is essentially a tragedy that these kids are so maladjusted that you put them in a normal teen situation and they have no idea what to do yes Okay, so on that note, the episode ends with them crashing the party, right? They destroy yeah. the house. That is crazy. <laughs> like it, is. it ends with like this like them smiling and like buddy buddy, but that is insane that they just ruin this person's <laughs> life for just like yeah. a whim. And everything's yep. on fire behind that still image, right? So it's the four of them right. kind of whatever. <laughs> And everything's in flames behind them. And we're like, oh, and the music, and the music is, is like kind of up. Yeah, the music is kind of uplifting, too, where you're like, yeah, exactly, Max. Oh, those goofballs, those crazy kids just doing crazy kid things. <laughs> yeah, just casually destroying this entire property to close out the, the show. <laughs> Olivia was watching uh, as I was, and she she like <laughs> resp her response was, oh, that seems healthy. <laughs> <laughs> amazing which i think sums it up pretty well yeah like, okay absolutely. they they had their whole like rough edges smoothed over by the campfire and what do they decide to do with this newfound enlightenment they ruin somebody's life like that's still pretty horrific <laughs> it's a bunch of dude bro chads they they deserve yeah, it right it's fine <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't feel bad for them. Yeah, like, right. It'd be it'd be different if I felt bad for them after they got everything destroyed. But mm -hmm. I don't feel bad for them. <laughs> a funny little weird note with that. So that one of the kids, he says that his dad is an admiral, an admiral, and that's his house. That's Admiral Chan, who in the first episode oh, of this season, that guy on the ship is like 
They're vacationing in Ember Island, though. Wouldn't they know that? <laughs> That's such oh, a good poll. Isn't that oh wild? My gosh. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, they thought of it. Again, I'm convinced that they've thought of everything. Like, no really detail did. is is just excusable or ex like an excuse. Okay, one point that I think I saw somewhere else, but how did they not, how did the people on Ember Island not recognize Zuko? That's a great question. I feel like it's mostly kids, at least in the, in the interactions that we see. And, you know, it's it's probably possible that these kids just are disconnected, you know? And Zuko has been gone for so long. Like, he did mm -hmm. just get back. And I think, aside from the facial scar, right, the scar on his eye, you know, he could pass as any other kid. But I am inclined to agree with you, Max, that I don't understand how they don't recognize him. Because to be the banished prince, like, everybody would know what that is or know who that is. Right. And then I'm if you see them... It's like, what? Oh, I thought you were banished. Oh, you're not? Oh, welcome. Right. Welcome to my party. Here you go. <laughs> Maybe the Fire Lord is trying to like scrub him out of the history books. Sure. Like his embarrassing son. Ooh. Yeah, maybe there aren't a lot of pictures of him sent like post-scar. Because he got banished pretty quickly after that. Mm -hmm. Speaking of his scar. Oof, Tylee's comment during the fight. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Just so out of touch. <sighs> yes. It's bad for your skin. And Oof. and you can you can see her remorse. Like they did a good job of creating that remorse in her reaction. Mm -hmm. Once Zuko sure. is like, how dare you say something like that? Because she immediately wants to take it back. And that also is a testament to her character. Like she's not an animus character, right? She is overwhelmingly positive to everybody mm -hmm. for the most part. And I, I think that that was truly a moment that Again, the moment she she spoke those words, she's like, "Oh, sh yeah. why did I say that?" Yeah, she definitely and wants to take it. him back right away. Yeah, but it it encapsulates the entire episode so well. Like Zuko hasn't had the luxury of thinking about normal childhood things ever, mm -hmm. and that little comment wraps all that up perfectly. Yeah, to unpack. I mean, to unpack all those the four of those kids' childhoods. The only normal one is May. Like what? <laughs> What what is this what is this all about? Like how is that possible? Even then like like what I like about that episode is it like acknowledges that May has had like a lot of privilege and hasn't had the worst upbringing, but she still kind of benefited from therapy. She has some stuff to unpack. She's totally not like completely emotionally regulated, right? Totally. But in, in comparison, in direct comparison with the other three, yeah. you're like, wow, <laughs> oh, yeah. that's, not a, that's not a bad life to live, you know? Yeah, for sure. Whereas the other three, you're like, ooh. And Max, I bet this, I bet this episode fascinates you as kind of a character study in, in adolescence, the ways in which people react to their upbringings. Yeah, I think they did a really good job of unpacking it because a lot of other shows just wouldn't touch that stuff. You'd have to kind of piece it together yourself. And they... They didn't shy away from it. They they kind of like wholeheartedly went into what makes us develop into who we are, what impacts us. Um, because May could just very well be a trope, right? She could just be mm -hmm. kind of a moody, uh, another moody like villain. But no, it's, you know, she has significant emotional repression going on. Yeah. <laughs> Same with Tylee. Like, okay, she's, you know, very 
hungry for validation and uh, individuation. It's it's really good to see a show dive into that. So that campfire scene was, yeah, I think some of the best the show has. Absolutely. And and again, we've talked about this briefly, but all of those very serious, very dramatic character-driven moments are veiled behind this very funny episode. Like there's yeah. a lot of really good comedic moments as well. And and that's always been something that we've appreciated about the show is is the balance seemingly in each episode between the the heavy drama uh and the comedy. Um some of my favorite moments of the of just the comedic timing and the comedic bits of this episode. I liked when Azula first went um and and interrupted I forget which one it is. I think it might have been Chan. Um, and she sets the drink on the girl that Chan was yeah. talking to before <laughs> and the drink starts to steam like yep. it's boily. Um, I thought that was very funny. That I, weird uh, bird that flies behind Chan when he's off put <laughs> by Zula's weird stuff. Yep. Yep. Well, and then when, yeah, when she kind of goes into her whole monologue thing, it's both funny, but it's also really just sad. Mm-hmm. It's just sad. You know, mm-hmm. we have moments like that where we're just feeling so bad for these characters and Azula especially I think it did an okay job of trying to humanize her to us but not too much where we're like kind of on her side now Mm -hmm. but I came away from this episode understanding a little bit more of why Azula acts the way that she does and manipulates people in the way that she does which I think is a it's a good thing to to have it's a good thing to have moving forward because it kind of keeps things into perspective. Like you always know her motivation. Yeah. Moving forward. I really think her monologue at the fire is, it's really off putting because she recognizes and has this really human moment of saying like my own mother thought I was a monster. And then she, I don't know if it's humor or what she counters it with, but she goes, and she was right. Of course. And it's like, you know you're a monster. Yeah. What? But yeah, you have to think that Ursa kind of, um, I don't know, made that happen. Like, if Azula embraced that feeling so much, like, would she be as bad of a person? Or was Ursa, like, truly seeing this, like, young monster for who she was from the beginning? Well, and it harkens back to that flashback. Mm-hmm. I forget what episode that's in, but the flashback where that shows him all his kids. And... Ursa even reflects and says, what is wrong with that child? Like, so I think it's a combination of things. I think it's probably a combination of, uh, of Azula seeing that her mother likes Zuko more and seeking out the attention from the only other parent that's around. And then that's where you see Ozai's influence on Azula. Like, of course, everything bad about Azula comes from Ozai. Right. You know, and probably from a lack of interaction with Ursa. To be honest. Yeah, seriously, that neglect for sure. Yep. Uh, she's not without blame in this this situation either, even though she's the better the better <laughs> of the two parents. <laughs> right. I think you're right for sure. Hopping back to Sparky Sparky Boom Man for a minute. Nice. I have a theory that the reason he is missing an arm and a leg is from practicing his own bending. Sure. I think he blew yeah. himself up trying it and now he's got metal to fix him up totally that's i can totally buy into that i i have a question about combustion benders Mm -hmm. 
I know we talked about it like he's supposed to be the anti-Aang, right? He's looks very similar as far as he's got the forehead stuff and blah, blah, blah. But he's just a more towering, domineering figure. I think, Max, you reflected on that in a previous podcast episode. But I, I just get confused about how combustion benders get their combustion ability. Like, yeah. Is it, are they firebenders and then they get this tattoo, which must come with some sort of spiritual ritual to allow them to then become combustion benders? Or are they, are they born with it? Like, I don't, I don't know. It, this, this power seems to come a little bit out of nowhere. And I understand that it's like super OP and one of the more powerful forms of bending, but not much is told to us as to the how it becomes a thing. Right. At least in this series, it may, yeah. it may be somewhere else, but I just don't know personally. I really think if he is the anti-Ang, I like that sort of spiritualism that it would parallel like the getting of your airbending tattoos, for example. But it would be weird. Are they like, where does the <laughs> hole that the stuff comes out of come from? Right. Other than his mind. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so in the in the art of the animation book, it right. says that's representative of the third eye of destruction, which I'm not familiar with, but it must be like symbolic. And Evan, I, I you are 100% right. In the animation book itself, it says we like to think that, you know, he has these prosthetic limbs because of a few experiments with his bending style gone wrong. Yeah, nice. 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 Called it. <laughs> Again, Avatar Studios. <laughs> We are available. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have read this false book memory. before. I probably just forgot. Again, no original <laughs> thoughts, right? <laughs> That's a cool idea I what had. if anybody else oh. has thought of that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would be awesome to see like a comic or like an anti-hero story of the combustion kind of training and how, how they develop that. Because I'm sure he didn't just stumble upon it, but right in the like paragraph explaining the character in the animation book, it talks about how somebody pitched the idea of a firebender being able to <laughs> cause a like a nuclear explosion <laughs> or something. And Brian and Mike were like, "That's ridiculous." <laughs> but <laughs> like, what if? <laughs> <laughs> Unless <laughs> that's awesome. I don't know why they didn't send the metal bender after the, the guy with the metal arm and leg. Yeah, that's a good that's point. Just me. Maybe it's because Toph can't see him coming. Well, I think she can because she wakes but, up and she says, I think a metal man is coming. Oh, yeah. I think that's actually what she says. So, yeah, it, it does seem a little weird there that she can feel him coming. She can sense him with her seismic, seismic earth bending. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and maybe her metal bending isn't advanced enough where she can't bend metal that she's not touching. Right. You know, because it is, I mean, metal bending it has only been a thing for six episodes now, right? And to get back to your point, Max, about uh, the nuclear explosion kind of motif there, there is a moment when Sparky Sparky Boom Man is, is chasing after our gang, and there's this slow motion where Aang kind of catches the combustion blast, and it totally looks like it's it's a nuke kind of yeah. getting ready to explode. And he airbends it away. Yes. I love that moment. What so a cool. sweet, so sweet it's moment. It's crazy that you bring that up, that specific frame up, because that is one that they use in the season three trailer. 
Uh, and I remember going crazy for the season three trailer because it was like epic music, <laughs> like the, the <laughs> cliffhanger that it left on was. Yeah. And so they used that small one. And I was like, he's firebending. Oh, my gosh. He learns how to firebend. But no, like in this, it shows he's just <laughs> using air around it in the like little clip in the trailer. It looks like, oh, maybe he was firebending. Yep. But no, he he did this really cool airbending maneuver out of it. <laughs> it's awesome. That that fight between yeah, them actually, is so cool. His, his like mm-hmm. Iron Man costume thing that he makes. And he it like actually oh reminds my God. me a ton of the finale fight. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I thought so, too, even in the landscape, yes. like the landscape where they're fighting looks exactly the same as when it happens in, in Sozin's Comet. And it, it looked so similar where I'm like, wait a minute, is this where they actually fight? But no, they're in the Earth Kingdom. They're the, like the Earth Kingdom land, I think, because that's where they flew with, oh, they right. fly with the airships. Is that? Yeah, that sounds yeah, right. To enact their plan, whatever it's called. I think I they are. I don't remember what the plan is called. Yeah. Operation yeah. Burn <laughs> Down the Whole Phoenix. Earth Kingdom. Um, well, regardless of where they are, um, I just thought the call, like, yes, the landscape, very similar. The enemy you're facing is trying to kill you, right? The, like, the assassin is literally trying to kill Aang mm-hmm. versus the Fire Lord is trying to kill Aang. And so there's no evasion. There's no <laughs> clever tactics that are going to, like, get you out of a situation where somebody is just out for blood. And we see that again, where Aang's just not prepared for that sort of fight. And even the even the Earth pillars are like on a smaller scale. Yeah, right. So this is sort of like a this is a little preparation, like a little appetizer of what you're about to experience. <laughs> <laughs> totally. The one thing too that they utilize a ton, and this is a little bit of a hard veer away from the combat we were just talking about and focusing on, but I think it could serve as a good bridge between this episode and uh, the Avatar and the Fire Lord episode. One of the narrative tools they use is flashback right um as it relates to zuko and azula may and tai lee one of the flashback scenes that got me just again in a moment of just sheer heartbreak is when zuko is exploring his family's house right he finds it gets back to it whatever and there's a flashback scene of zuko on the beach at ember island as like a baby or a toddler and there is another young boy and someone who looks like it could be Zuko's father, but it's not. It's Iroh and Lu Ten. Yeah. Oh. So the the thing that this kind of made me think about, and again, sets us up really well for this Avatar and the Fire Lord revelation, if you will. Um, I feel like the whole beach episode does a really good job, again, of making that case that Zuko feels super regretful and remorseful for his actions at the end of season two. And I think we see that come to a head now in uh, in the Avatar and the Fire Lord, which I know, Evan, we talked about this when we recorded the last podcast episode. This is one of your favorite episodes. Oh, yeah. Seriously, one of one of my favorite episodes, too. Oh, I love this episode. It's so incredible. It's fantastic. Let's do Shall it. we get into it? Yes. <laughs> so I think my first thought with this one was it seemed very lucky that Zuko put I that message over a flame if one of so you could see comment the comment on that. Yeah. Totally. How do we get the plot to go forward? Ah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he throws it on the fire. <laughs> My only justification for it is that maybe Iroh assumed Zuko would be so angry seeing it that he would have just <laughs> lit it on fire to begin with. 
and that that would have revealed it anyway. He's like, you'll probably get this and burn it, but that's what I want. So now, so he like throws it over a candle or is it like a lantern without a flame on it? I think it's like a lantern. It's like, you know, in National Treasure, when they like breathe on the Declaration oh. of Independence to reveal the secret. That same technology. I think it's kind of like that. Because I feel like if Iroh assumed Zuko would burn it, I don't know if I don't know if burning it would have revealed the message. Right. I think it had to be like a Zuko's contained heat would be source. So hot with fury that then <laughs> the breath of yeah. fire, the breath of yeah. fire. I will say I was very pleased to see the return of the cloud-covered disguise um, from the headband episode, mm-hmm. and uh, it was also very comforting that it was a cloud that knew how to not speak. Um, it was a very <laughs> stealthy cloud. Again, even though it was flying quite low, I commend um, Team Avatar for their ingenuity and their constant desire to get better. I got such Nimbus Dragon Ball Z <laughs> vibes was... from it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. I did too. Totally. And you have to, yeah. th- you have to think because of so many parallels being drawn between this show and anime in general, mm-hmm. so there are lots of things that are like, Exactly. This is this is, you know, we take inspiration from anime as an art form and as a cultural, you know, uh, strong point. And I know a lot of people don't consider Avatar The Last Airbender or The Legend of Korra anime. Um, I am not. We're not going to wade into those waters. Maybe that that's a bonus episode for another day is Avatar The Last Airbender an anime. Um, But you can definitely tell that the creators and the animation teams and studios are heavily influenced by anime. Um, whether or not you consider it is a, is a different conversation, but yeah, totally getting those Nimbus vibes. It was a lot of fun. It's, it's kind of funny that you bring up that this cloud didn't have a mouth this time, which was good because watching it with the subtitles, it actually says (laughs) as it's closed up on the cloud, it says in parentheses growling. (laughs) So I think Appa was making noise (laughs) while they were going. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. So the subtitles close. people, the subtitles people, uh, I, that would, I would not want that job ever. Hey, can you um, transcribe the, this TV show and write subtitles for it? Oh my God, <gasps> y'all, I just started doing this. There's like a place where you can Whoa. do that as like an independent contractor. I like started doing that literally No today. way, this is not real. Are you no, serious? No, legit. It's called Rev.com. <laughs> I just and that's our sponsor this. for today's episode. <laughs> Rev.com. <laughs> no, they're not a sponsor. They're not a sponsor. But yeah, it's it's hard. Like even the most like simple thing, you're like, how do I describe this music or this sound so it like mm-hmm. makes sense? <laughs> Cascading strings over yeah. thematic drums. I was legitimately thinking about you today, Brandon, because there's so Aww. many like explanations for how to describe music and stuff. Sure. And I was like Brandon would have this down. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. All right. Well, I think we're skirting around the meat of this episode, which is so much. I, think I know that's, there's that's what they must have had trouble with too. Like, how do we so flesh much. out the entire backstory for Roku and Sozin in 22 minutes? This episode does not feel like 22 minutes. Yeah, yeah it, it feels like a lifetime in a good way. Well, and I think the, the parts of their lives that they chose to focus on allows for it to feel that way while also not feeling like it just trudged along. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, obviously, there's a lot of minutia 
in the life of an avatar, you know, one of the things that stood out to me was it took Roku 12 years to master three elements because he was, we're presuming that he mastered firebending before he began his, his journey elsewhere. Right. Right. And then he was gone for 12 years, mastering the other three elements. You know, you could have spent a whole episode covering those 12 years, but I think they gave us just enough because we're kind of experiencing that, that learning curve, all of that stuff with Aang, um, that quote, bitter work end quote. I know Roku even says bitter yeah. work, which was super funny. Cause it just made me think of the, the, uh, earthbending episode, but by not getting stuck in those nitty gritty moments and choosing where they're going to focus their energy at each, at any given moment in, in Roku's timeline, the decisions they made were very, very effective. Like, yes, they focused on the bending, but they focused on the fact that Roku knew Monk Gyatso or that his earthbending teacher became one of his best friends or that he had a hard time learning waterbending because it was kind of his opposite element, just like Aang struggled with earthbending. All of the right decisions were made in regards to what they focused on for Roku, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, they they pared down that story arc. And you're right, of course, other things happened. But So this is a little bit of a divergence from uh, anything, but... So Roku's dragon gets kind of more screen time in this one. We've only seen him in the spirit world and we're introduced to him in, you know, season one. Do you think they had an idea of like Mm -hmm. actually having him have a pet dragon or did they like want that as a spirit to begin with? And then they retconned it to be a dragon later, like a, you know, like a real one because (laughs) The spirit dragon at season one looks so, I don't know, it looks really different. Does it? Yeah, it looks almost, it, it looks a little bit more snake-like. It looks less dragon-like. Mm. Um, it looks more like air serpent than than dragon. You know, I think there's a couple things to unpack with that. I think dragons in this universe, you know, aren't necessarily what we think of when we think of dragons. You know, like a Game of Thrones dragon compared to an Avatar The Last Airbender dragon. Totally different. I would like to think that they had thought that his, his the dragon would be his his animal guide, his animal companion. I think Aang even confirms that oh, in the yeah, Winter Solstice. Right. He You're says he's animal Ro- guide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think some of those design elements can also change. And, and uh, as we know, when beings become spirits, they kind of revert to the, the quote, prime, like, form of themselves. Uh, or at least the, true, the form yeah. that they most that they choose to to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because even Roku, like Roku, cho- when when Roku ascended into the spirit world, chose to remain kind of his near the end of his life form, rather than like a, maybe a physical form mm-hmm. that was more. Well, Aang reverts to his monk self in this episode. He you know goes from hair exactly. to monk monk costume and exactly and arrow right. Which speaking of Aang's hair, quick interjection. It keeps growing. like Such a good detail. <laughs> what a sweet detail that they just did. You know, They could have yeah. just had it kind of be the same length as it was in the headband episode, which is a great length of hair, right? Mm-hmm. But they're, they're keeping it growing, which I just think is kind of funny, subconsciously showing us that time is passing and that we're getting closer to that next checkpoint, which is the day of Black Sun. Right. And he only has the equipment to shave completely. He doesn't have, he can't. Do a trim. I'll have a three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was good. That was funny. Okay. I got to ask, does Aang 
poop in his pants in this episode? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> and he's definitely wearing those pants at the end of the episode. So. Yeah. Everybody, grab my hand. You're my friends. I love you. <laughs> Please Ooh. stay. Stay so away from we're, me. We're okay. <laughs> well, and, and speaking of callbacks, that's another moment when when Aang is like pooping in the spirit yeah. world as he's like meditating or passed out, whatever. The question, I think Katara asks it, do they have bathrooms in the spirit world? And Sokka immediately, as a matter of fact, they do not. Because yep. when Sokka got taken in the spirit world by Heibai, first thing he does when he comes out is goes and uses the bathroom. Which, <laughs> again, just some of those small things that reward those of us who have been watching the entirety of the show. Yeah. And even if you haven't hadn't been watching it from the beginning, it would still just be a comedic moment. Like, you... As as somebody who maybe hadn't seen that episode, you'd you'd be thinking, how does Sokka know that? Like what? And then you'd Google it and realize, oh yeah, he talked about that in season one. And then for those of us who have been with it the whole time, you're like, of course, the payoff. It's amazing. Oh, masterfully crafted, right? Mm. Okay. Speaking of masterly crafted, this whole episode is a mastercraft of Dude, plot. plot it is so good. It's nuts. Like to weave Zuko's plot so seamlessly into Aang's. And to the point where after a while, you don't need to bounce back and forth. You just forget that yeah. it's like happening. Like sometimes Sozin's narrating, sometimes Roku's narrating. And you forget it that it's really, it's just them experiencing it, right? It's Aang in the spirit world and Zuko reading it. But they just do it so well that you don't even think about it. Exactly. You kind of lose yourself in the moments just like Aang and, and Zuko. And by the end of it, one of the best twists in any piece of media ever like Uncle Iroh revealing that Zuko's other great grandfather is the Avatar. It's mind blowing and it sets up Perfect. for everything we see from this point on so beautifully. But I had no idea that first time I saw it that that was coming, that that's the point. It is masterfully done. Yeah. And I think it's so appropriate that Iroh is the one who gets yeah. to tell Zuko. Um, this is also like the first time we hear Iroh speak, I think, mm -hmm. in season three. Because I don't think he's, he says anything aside from like grumbling and moaning as a prisoner. It, it means a lot that Iroh is the one who, who it reveals this revelation. Because I, I said that earlier, it's a revelation. Mm -hmm. So loving too, because in totally. the last episode, I think in the last episode or the episode before that... um. Zuko kind of breaks down in front of Iroh and says, I'm so confused. I need your help, Uncle. I need it. And Uncle's like, no, man. Well, well he doesn't, you know, he's so heartbroken. He doesn't respond. Yep. And Zuko's like, fine, rotten here. And then he still goes helps out him. and helps him after yeah. that. Yeah. He, like, can't not And for him. someone who's been so obsessed with destiny his whole life, this is the perfect thing for him, like, if you want to talk about destiny, if you want to think about what you are truly meant to do in life, you are the great grandson of the Avatar. Let that open up some more options for you. Right. Get the full picture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, the way that they animate and and set up that whole scene, that whole dialogue, we also, we know that Iroh is the one behind the bars. We know that Iroh is locked up. But the way that they play with the camera angle and the lighting it blurs the line, just like mm -hmm. it blurs the line between whose story it is, Aang's or Zuko's. We we kind of lose sight of who the prisoner is, right? Zuko yep. feels trapped 
by this destiny, which is legitimately his destiny, right? The great-grandson of the Fire Lord who started the Hundred Year War. But then on the flip side, it's also his destiny to be the great-grandson of the former Avatar. Like, it's masterfully done. Masterfully done. And now that you bring that up, I think you're right that every shot of the prison, when they show Zuko, he's behind bars. And every Mm -hmm. shot of Iroh, he's... You don't see bars with Iroh. Mm-hmm. Um, and same, I think, with the lighting. Totally. Iroh, the light, the lighting especially. Iroh is in a better light, mm-hmm. and Zuko is in more darkness, mm-hmm. which to me, as an imagery analysis, Iroh is the clarity, Yeah. and Zuko is just the confusion, right? Which is the whole point. That's, that's what Iroh has been the entire sh- show, basically. The entire series is, if anybody needs something, just go ask Iroh about it. And the best part about that is that that doesn't go away after this series is done. Like what? And when that happens, when that happens in Legend of Korra, holy mm-hmm. buckets, I lost it. I lost <laughs> it when that happened. Evan, I hadn't thought about that as Iroh using Zuko's own fixation on destiny, uh, kind of against him or for him. Before. Right. <laughs> but you're so right. Like Zuko has this sort of meltdown of like, why are you telling me this? Why are you? Why are you giving me this information? And I was like, because you're so obsessed with like what you yeah. want to be and who you're supposed to be. Right. Yeah. You, and you don't even know who you are. Like it's it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. It's the perfect antidote to what Zuko's fixations always end up being. I think what's very surprising about this episode is how sweet Sozin and Roku's friendship is. Yeah. It's totally. It makes it all the more tragic by the end. Like even even the big bad guy from way back in history who started all of this they find some sort of empathy for him like nobody is safe from being a full human in this show <laughs> no <laughs> oh man maybe except for unalak or whatever but right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man speaking of their friendship we we get some glimpses of you know them as young men in their first fight, Sozin uses the tree to take uh, take Roku down, which is like him using oh. the environment to take oh, Roku down. Oh, my God. Which I think is a really good call to the end where he, you know, he's not ultimately the one that takes him down. He uses the environment. Yep. Absolutely. That, that scene plays incredibly well. Like, I understand why Sozin is there. Like, he can make it seem like he did his best but still yeah use that advantage to get rid of roku i do kind of wonder why roku stuck around so long i do too i have that same note like why are you there yeah especially after everybody who lived there had gone like right that's in my opinion that's the only objective is getting everybody off of the island and then then you leave too like that's it's it's at that point it's not worth saving your home. Right. You know, even though it is your homeland, it is not worth it knowing what you'll have to be able to do. Yeah, cuz once he carves out that channel for the lava to go, even then it's probably like going to be fine at that point, right? Theoretically, you would think. Yeah. Maybe the second volcano is meant to indicate that that it's going to overflow the channel he's built and reach the people before they can escape. I don't know. Yeah. But I think there's that cut 
where it shows his wife and a bunch of people on boats already. Right. And I think at that moment, we're supposed to believe that everybody who had been living there is off the island. Yeah. And I think that happens, that might even happen before he makes the big channel or the big trench. There are a ton of sweet things, though, about the the fight against the volcano. Mm-hmm. Um, we see lava bending. We yeah. see Roku lava bend for the first time, which I didn't realize was lava bending until after you realize that it's a thing in Legend of Korra. I was like, oh, I didn't even know lava bending was a thing. But then now watching it again, it's like, of course it is. And of course the Avatar can do that. Like, what? <laughs> Max has just shared a meme with us. Oh, my God. Okay. The meme that Max just shared says, Roku's wife saying, sweetie, the island is evacuated. You don't need to stay and stop the volcano. First, Maxwell Googled, why did Roku stay on the island? With no question mark. It filled no in. question mark. It filled it in for me. Amazing. Because Google oh is God. listening. Google is listening. And then below it says, Roku realizing he didn't buy volcano insurance on his vacation home. And he's in the Avatar state getting ready to build the trench. Oh, Lord. That's so funny. Oh my god. Sorry. I had to. No, I that's it's all good. Oh, it's perfect. Seriously, Max with the dad jokes and the dad memes, man. Really bringing it. <laughs> but Brandon, you're you're right. Some really cool bending. Yes. So we, yeah. again, we see lava bending for the first time here. It's the perfect <clears throat> it's the perfect earth bending for a firebender avatar to do. Absolutely. And so there was one thing that Sozin did that I was curious about, right? Where he does like this steam bending is what I called it in my notes. Yep. Because it's kind of like air bending, but it also kind of looks like the water bending move that redirects lightning. Yeah, it does. A little bit. The pointed fingers. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if it's just him redirecting the heat or... Because to, honestly, it looks like air bending. Like it, it looks like he's bending the steam air or the heated the heat air, whatever, out of the way. I, I don't. But that's not possible. He can't have, air bend. We have no original thoughts. No, just kidding. I just, I just googled this as well. Why does it look like Sozin is air bending? Because I think all of us have the same note looking yeah. at our notes. And it, there's a Reddit thread, of course. Is because there, is there a meme? Is there another meme that you want to share? There's not a meme, but the top comment is. He's heat bending, I think. He's taking the heat from the lava and redirecting it elsewhere. He seems uh, to be pretty much the same technique that Iroh uses with redirecting lightning. Oh, my God. Okay. So (laughs) we don't have any original thoughts. For the record, I didn't read the Reddit post before, and Maxwell (laughs) just makes me look and sound so dumb. Uh, But it it does show that, like... You can come to the same conclusions as somebody else who has the same totally. questions because there are through lines throughout this. It's not yep, just right. like random Deus Ex stuff. I think it also bodes well for our podcast because I know nothing feels better than having your own thoughts validated. Yes. And if we can be that for other people who are clearly also thinking this, we're going to be very successful, y'all. <laughs> uh, well... Do you guys have any speed rounds? Because I know this is a packed episode. So any any reactions or comments that you haven't gotten to make? I I wanted to mention, speaking of the memes we've seen today, um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought about Kiyoshi's voice in Roku's head. Yeah. And years ago, when all of this was coming out, Max and I made a... Oh, God. 
a rather crude meme about what Kyoshi would be telling Roku to do. To oh, God. Yeah. Uh, I remember you guys sent this to me early on when we were first brainstorming yeah. the podcast ideas. <laughs> and I don't know if I still have them, but we should find them again. And we can maybe... Sh we are they? I don't remember. Are they super bad? Are they? Oh, like, they're super, bad. There's a there's bad. a couple of expletives. <clears throat> I don't know that we. <laughs> there's a lot of momos in that one. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, maybe we can make a a PG version. There we go. And post it on our our Twitter. I love it. <laughs> the first tweet in like two months. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I mean, the only other thought that I kind of had <clears throat> about this this episode, we got through pretty much everything that I had wanted to talk about for the beach. Um. One thing that Toff says at the end was she kind of asks the question of, do you really think friendships can last, you know, more than one lifetime? And um, I think it's poignant coming from Toff uh, for what happens later. Um, I think it's really it's really cool how, you know, you see the generational overlay between these these people and these characters who we we have come to know and love, right? Even at the beginning of The Legend of Korra, Katara is still around, right? Mm -hmm. So Katara, who marries Aang, and, you know, they have a family together, <gasps> then becomes a mentor to the next Avatar. Um, I think that's really cool and, and awesome. And and again, a testament that friendship certainly can, can last beyond a single lifetime. Um, but no, I think this episode in general, Fire Lord and, and uh, the Avatar and the Fire Lord does a ton, like you said earlier, Max, for Zuko and Aang's characters. I mean, it's one of my favorite episodes, too, for sure. Um, and it's, again, continuing to somehow raise the stakes while mm -hmm. also just giving us a ton of back, back, uh, backlog exposition. Absolutely. Evan, how about you? Did you have any speed round reactions? My only little thought, I thought it was kind of interesting that all of Roku's teachers were men. And how different that's been for Aang so far. Yeah. With the exception of, we don't know who his firebending teacher was. And based on what you've said about, like, the people, like, in the Fire Nation guarding and teaching being women, it's possible that was a woman, but... Well, prior to the war. I mean, our, like... Oh, yeah. Previous... Yeah. Yeah, I don't it know. It feels what... like Aang's generation is sort of, like, this interesting movement in, like, more gender balance, too, which was, of mm. course, a big part with Master Paku... So that was cool yeah. to see, like, how it used to be and how right. much that's changed. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else? Yeah, I'd love to share my... Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what anything else means, Max. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm so oh, pretty, pretty pleased, Max. Could you share? <laughs> this is why recording on weeknights... <laughs> Is problematic for us. We're oh, all a little man. extra. We have a little extra seasoning on our extra. on our. What's that our supposed here. to mean? <laughs> I'm not angry. All right, Max. Okay. I'm sorry. I have bad skin. <laughs> I had a couple spicy takes on this one that I just right. want to speed round. Spicy like fire flakes. Exactly, Flamio. <laughs> so. I think Sozin's plan overall is just bad. Like his plan to wipe out the air nomads because the avatar is going to be born into the like air nation next. I think that's just a bad plan. Like 
Cause now he, when you say when you say bad, do you mean like evil <laughs> or like bad as in you like the thought behind it is just ill ill thought? I don't I don't know what I'm trying to say. Do you think it's both. evil or do you think it's like a hard plan to to execute? Both. I think it's it's just like um of course it's evil, right? Obviously. But I also think it's just kind of like if you're trying to conquer the world and your sole focus is on the avatar. I get that. Like throughout history in this universe, like the avatar is the person that brings peace, so you want to eliminate that person. But if you kill them, they're going to be born into the water nation. So like are you just going to go to the water nation then and wipe all them out? Like Yeah, but that's exactly what he does, right? That's why the Southern Water Tribe is in such disrepair. He goes and takes every waterbender out. Yeah, I think that's why like that's why they did the raids. mom it was like rounded up stuff like that. I think he's going down the line at least until the next avatar is in the Fire Nation. Okay. How did they know they didn't kill the avatar then? How did they know he was still alive if it was just a baby? Like how would you know that's not the avatar or, you know, 12 years later or whatever? I think you you don't. So really? Yeah. I don't think he really knows. So he's just he kind of hedging. He, he's hedging he, his bets. But he said yeah. for the for the rest of his life he was searching for the avatar, the last airbender who's out there. Right. So he knew the avatar was still alive. Well, and I, yes, uh, yes. I don't know how you know that though like you had just said i don't know right. how you know that so you i don't. think you almost plan and then you hedge your bets right you start raiding the the uh the southern water tribe um even though it's weird that is there is there like a guarantee that it would go to the south and not to the north i don't necessarily know that either i think there actually is i think it alternates from the poles and kurik was born in the northern tribe so interesting cool. yeah that's so okay. cool that's really cool but but then why would Zuko be looking for an airbender? I think I think Brandon's yeah. right. They know that the air nomad is still out there somewhere. But if next time around they only need to search through, let's say, 20 people in the Southern Water Tribe, makes it a lot easier for them. Okay. So so take that, Max. Okay, fair. <laughs> fair, 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 fair. It's, I think it's still a bad plan. Like, use your comet better than attacking pacifists. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, take out the tough ones first. <laughs> right. Um, but actually, to your point then, no, wait, it would have been a year early. Because if Katara would have been the only waterbender left in the South Pole when Roku died, then wouldn't she have... Katara wouldn't have been around when Roku died. What do you mean Aang was? Because we have a hundred years. Oh my God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> So take that, Max. So take that. Sosa's plan was bad. And let me tell you why. (laughs) I forget that there's a hundred year break. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, I don't even know if I want to say the rest of my amazingly astute points. Um, Oh, I was curious how Roku didn't realize that Sozin had invaded the, the Earth Kingdom. Like, he's like, it took me years to realize that Sozin had moved forward with his plan. Because he's the Avatar and he has a dragon. So you'd think he'd be able to kind of like get around. But anyway, I just thought that was kind of narratively he, weird. He's not the hottest cinder in the the fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that brings up a good point as to how the Avatar gets information, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, unless you're actively traveling and checking in with all these world leaders, how are you, how are you really going to know and maybe it's a situation like 
maybe he went to Ba Sing Se to check in on the Earth Kingdom. And they're like, yep, everything's good here. There's no Fire Nation. They yeah. haven't done anything to us. Maybe because they didn't know because the Earth Kingdom is it's a big. little out of touch. Right, right, right. right. You know, that's who knows? Point. Yeah. Who knows? I, I don't, you know, and that's never something that's ever really explained, like how the Avatar gets information. I think much like our, like, civilization, humanity, as technology evolves and constantly becomes more efficient and more, you know, connected as we become more connected, information can travel more quickly. You see in Korra that information travels quicker than in Avatar The Last Airbender. So, mm-hmm. you know, just one of those things that takes time. But you bring up a good point where it's, I kind of wonder what the power of the Avatar would have been in previous cycles. Because in in the last three, they have ways of traveling. Aang has his mm-hmm. bison. Roku has his dragon. Uh and Kyoshi, if you read the novels, has a bison as well. Mm-hmm. Um, at least for the part that I'm reading. Maybe that changes. <laughs> but but so you'd think like, okay, before that, how did they get around to like stop bad guys? I guess they'd have to take a ship or take a carriage like across, you know, months of travel. Or I guess use the Avatar state, but <laughs> <laughs> fast travel. Yeah. Anyway. But that that scene where Roku finds out that Sozin had moved on his plan leads to one of the coolest airbending moves that we see in the show, which is Roku activating the Avatar state and then blowing air out in a cylinder around him and decimating the Fire Nation capital. So cool. The palace is leveled. It's awesome. I think that's one thing I do love about Roku's style is how evenly he uses each element totally Mm -hmm. like it seems like with a lot of the other avatars they always have a comfort in their native element but he's just like he'll do anything like it's completely natural to him yeah Mm -hmm. and that just reminded me of sozin's reaction at the very beginning like when he talks about um each different bending style and he does this really cool animation where he does uh an animation or he does like a movement from each bending style, which makes me think like, man, what a more open world it must have been Mm -hmm. back when he was like Prince. Totally. That they're sharing all this information anyway. And he, and then he's part of the reason why it closed itself off. Yeah. Like awful. And you wonder, you wonder what changed in his, in his mind, in his psyche, in his brain. Cause as a kid, as Prince Sozin, like, yeah, much more innocent, much more, accepting seemingly like what what changed for sozin in the 12 years seemingly between when roku left sozin becomes fire lord roku comes back you know i don't know we'll find out no just kidding (laughs) (laughs) well but seriously you think about all those different opportunities that that avatar studios has to flush some of this stuff out they could you know, with with micro series or mini series being a thing now, you could mm-hmm. do a six episode mini series on Sozin mm-hmm. and the beginning of the Hundred Year War. Like you could do all of that. Oh, I would watch. I mean, I'm going to watch anything that they put out. <laughs> but but if there was like the Sozin's Comet, where they you know their coordinated attack on the Air Nation, I mean, it'd be super depressing. But I would love to see some of their like the Air Nation's defense and yep. how that went down. Well, Max, the Air Nation, the Air Nomads didn't have a formal military. 
That's right. <laughs> How would you know that? Unless you were there a hundred years ago. I'll just use my best guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do that for your bonus. <laughs> uh, Anything else? Well, I'm glad you asked. No, just <laughs> I'm done. So take that, Maxwell. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this episode. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion so far, as we certainly have. We'll be back next week as we continue our conversations about the third season of Avatar The Last Airbender. We're now live on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for at previous.pod on Facebook and at previous underscore pod on Twitter. Give us a like or a follow and interact with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the series as we keep the dialogue going. A big thanks to my co-hosts Evan and Max for being a part of the podcast. We'll see you soon. Yip, yip. <laughs>